Hey, everyone. Thanks very much for joining us today for a conversation about work and rest. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible teaches us that God worked six days and rested on the seventh, and he made that a rule for us to follow. So how you think about work and rest has implications for everything else in life. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Let's get to it. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today is with Tim Bailey, Max Corral, and Stephen Baker. This is the Out of Our Minds podcast. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for being here. And today we are going to talk about work. To prepare for this podcast, I actually read, I guess it's not fair to say I read a book, but I read an extended, either a a section of a book or an extended essay or something. It's written by a guy called Yosef Pieper. Have you heard of this, Tim? You know this guy? I know the name. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's really big in classical circles and stuff. The German, I think a Roman Catholic German guy, the book that I read was Leisure, the Basis of Culture. So, you know, have you read this? Okay, Max has read it. All right. Very good. Well, I want to start by talking about that. So, and the first thing I want to do is I actually want to read the New York Times book review blurb on the front of this book. So, here it is. Peeper's message for us is plain. The idolatry of the machine, the worship of mindless know-how, the infantile cult of youth and the common mind, all this points to our peculiar leadership in the drift toward the slave society. Peeper's profound insights are impressive and even formidable. Now, as I got into the book, I was actually really irritated for the first, I mean, half, maybe three, even three quarters of it. I think the, the key that actually turned it around for me to, that helped me appreciate the book rather than just resent it was that I, I think that he has a very, very specific definition for the word leisure. That's not your typical definition of the word leisure. When I, you know, when I picked up the book, I'm thinking like leisure is what we do on our off time. We're resting, we're relaxing, we're just kind of hanging out. But that's not really what he means by leisure. I, I think what Pieper in this book means by leisure is he, he considers it to be what is the most important thing you do when no one is making you do anything. It's how you spend your quote-unquote free time that indicates what's valuable to you, where your God is. And so ultimately, I think what his basic, his basic definition of leisure is how you serve your God, how you honor your God is what you do in your leisure time. And so fundamental to leisure in his mind is the worship of God. Okay, now that's not at all what I was expecting when I picked up this book. And so, so here's a quote from that book that really stuck out to me. In the third place, to be tied to the process of work may be ultimately due to the inner impoverishment of the individual. In this context, everyone whose life is completely filled by his work, in the special sense of the word work, is a proletarian because his life has shrunk inwardly and contracted with the result that he can no longer act significantly outside his work and perhaps can no longer even conceive of such a thing. Okay, and so what this book tries to open up actually is, and what it helped me to recognize, is that you really cannot begin to talk about work without talking about rest as well. So part of the problem here is 
that we have to begin with definitions. And so in a minute, I'm going to ask you, men, to, to tell me what is work and what is rest, right? So let's, let's start there with, with definitions. What is the definition of work? What is the definition of rest? And before we get there, though, I'm going to read two more things. One is a quote from Baudelaire that he quotes and that Pieper quotes in this work. Baudelaire, French guy, I think he came before the existentialist, but he sounds kind of like depressing kind of a guy, sort of in that, that vein. He, this is his quote. One must work, if not from taste, then at least from despair. For, to reduce everything to a single truth, work is less boring than pleasure. Work is less <laughs> boring than pleasure. It's like crystallized cynicism right there about work. And I don't, actually, I don't actually think that that quote is too far off from the average American's view of work, frankly. Finally, I, I want to read scripture. Because I think that as we begin to define work and rest, we start with Genesis. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse, beginning with verse 31. God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So, what is work? The first thing to say, it's one of the creation ordinances. Okay. In other words, before the fall, in creation, God imposed on creation itself three things, work, fruitful marriage, and rest, restful worship, Sabbath. Mm. Those three things, and all of them reflect God. Okay. God's a worker, God is fruitful, and God rested. And that's just built into creation. So the first thing to say is work is not a curse. Okay, but, but the curse is intimately tied to work. And childbearing. Okay, so what's your, what's your point? Well, my point is work is not a part of the curse. The toil in work, mm -hmm. thorns in work, pain in childbearing are curses because of the fall added to the nature of things, but they mm -hmm. don't change the nature of things. The nature of things is that God made men to work. God made women to bear children, which is also work. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's why we call it labor. <laughs> but those difficult things are added to the goodness of, of the way God made the world. So we, we have to get that right or else we're always going to be wanting to work as little as we can. That would go to the whole issue of then what is rest and rest is not, you know, they, you, you think about peace. Mm -hmm. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Rest is not just the absence of work. Okay. It's, I would say it's a kind of different, a different kind of work, you could say. There's restoration. There's, if you think about rest as simply not working, mm -hmm. then what are you doing? So I, I think you have to think about it more positively, just in terms, not just the absence of work, but the, the presence of something else that's, that restores and, and brings energy back to you for the work. But the mm -hmm. main point is the work. Mm -hmm. We flipped it around so that the main point is the rest. But I, I don't know. It's interesting because as you say that, I think Pieper would argue possibly that the main point is the rest in the sense that rest is about the, the most fundamental thing about leisure is the holy days of celebration in which you're worshiping God. Mm -hmm. Which is a work. Huh. It's not an, it's not inactivity. It's not sitting and doing nothing. Before, before we keep continue digging into that, what do you think, Tim? 
it's common for us to say those are the things that existed before the fall. But I'm always concerned that we add hierarchy, that God established authority before the fall also. Right. And we never say that because for all of man's history, and I consciously say man inclusive of men and women, for all of man's history, that has been taken for granted. Mm-hmm. But we have to remember Adam was created first and then Eve. And so it wasn't just marriage, but it was an ordered marriage, which again, as you were saying, it reflects the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And people at that point will say, are you saying that you know there's an eternal subordination of the Son to the Father? And I say, <clears throat> I'm not going to get into that because even the way you just asked me that question mm-hmm. is unfair. Mm-hmm. There certainly is eternal fatherhood and eternal sonship. That's right. And so now am I being unfair? So those of you that don't understand what I'm making allusion to there, you don't need to. You just need to know that we worship the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And at the beginning, there was, as Stephen has said, work. In heaven, we will spend eternity working. And even in worship, what is worship each Sunday but a service of worship? Mm-hmm. So a worship service is actually a worship Work, service is work. We give work to God. We give God our work. So that's my response to Stephen that, yeah, that that is where you have to start. You have to start with the statement that work is a blessing, Mm -hmm. that God gave it to us prior to the fall, and that that's what we will spend eternity doing. But what does it mean? I mean, if God rested on the seventh day, what did he do? Okay, so (laughs) what we know he didn't do. Are you ready for this? This is really another one of those really deep statements that people listen to this podcast to be reminded of how bright we are. Yeah, we're bright. Okay, you ready? Stump the preacher. (laughs) What he didn't do was he didn't entertain himself. So I think the minute we start talking about leisure and work Uh uh and Sabbath rest, what we have to do is tease out this issue of entertainment. Mm-hmm. In other words, at some point, I hope in this podcast, we'll... <laughs> yeah, I think we need to get there, but I want to lay these foundational things well, first. That's Here. why you reacted against the, that word leisure, because that's what we all think when we think leisure. Yeah, we, we all think we, yeah. entertainment. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Consume, do nothing productive whatsoever. Mm. That's what we all think by leisure. Mm-hmm. So while you were talking, I was thinking about the difference between resting for a pastor and resting for a carpenter. And what I was thinking was that when I was a young man and I came home as a teenager, my father would be sitting in his chair and I would walk in and he'd say, hi, Tim, how are you? And I would say, I'm fine, dad. How are you? And he'd say, I'm fine. (laughs) Okay. And I always felt like dad was dissing me. That my dad never had any response other than I'm fine. And I always wanted for him to please say something other than I'm fine. But I knew if I ever said, well, I'm, I'm actually not fine, dad. Or, well, dad, are you really fine? You know, that I would break one of the most foundational rules of my father's home, (laughs) which was he was fine, I was fine, we were both to be fine. And so I always resented that until I became a pastor. Mm. And I got home, and all I wanted to do was have my wife tell me that her day had been fine. 
and then have her care that mine was fine also. And I realized that since pastor's work is the work of relationships and conflict, mm-hmm. that we have a whole different set of expectations for rest than most men do. And that's one thing we have to keep very much in mind that what might be rest for me might actually be work for someone else and what might be work from them, what might actually be rest. And so Mm -hmm. I find as a pastor that I know that Max and I, and I don't know about the other two of you, but I know that Max and I both are only at rest when we're physically working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say that's true. And I was thinking about the second quote and I was thinking of it in terms of what it says in Ecclesiastes about work. Mm-hmm. Because really, the writer, the preacher in Ecclesiastes is talking about both work and seeking pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and in the end, he says, as an end, they're both futile. Hmm. There's, no, there's no good in them. Wow. Yeah, as, 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 a, as, as a goal. There is no good in them. And I think I've heard stories about other people, other people from other countries looking at Americans. And I think a lot of times people from other countries look at Americans and think that all we do is work. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that we necessarily work X many hours more or whatever than other countries. I think maybe they look at it and think, you guys don't seem to have a point, (laughs) you know, to your work Mm. other than money, which isn't a point. Right. Another thing I was thinking about in terms of the question about resting, uh, there's a point I I understand with sleeping every night mm. that we're supposed to go into some state of sleep that allows our minds to mm-hmm. stop and consolidate what's happened in the mm. day and that it affects our memories mm. if we don't. Yeah. If we if we don't have that sleep, we don't have the consolidation of our of our lives for the next day and for our memories. But if you think about how God made the Sabbath for man, he actually gave us a time where the meaning of all of it gets to be reflected on mm-hmm. and assimilated into us in the work of worshiping him and the worship work of giving to him what we're supposed to give to him. And it's fascinating to think about. I hadn't thought about it till we started talking. You're uh, just now about it, but the idea of the uh, the uh, consolidation of our thinking, hmm. right, hmm. is that there there is it's not an inactivity that our thinking is consolidated. It is in the work of worship. That's one of the places where our our reason for existence is consolidated. The mm-hmm. reason why we worked those things in the in the week that we worked, it all gets consolidated in that time. Our we exist. For a purpose, and that we are to to bring glory to God and enjoy Him forever, and here we are today, and reflecting on the past week of. But I'm I'm totally agreeing with you, Tim. If I can have something physical to do, mm-hmm. well, okay, it's so much more restful for oh, yeah. me because I, I can again look at it and I can say, I've uh, done something. There it yeah, is. Yeah, there it is. Look, yeah. there are five of them. Mm-hmm. There they are. And you can pick it up and it it allows itself to be picked up and you can tell it no and it allows you to tell it no. And And you you can can be done. You can walk away and say, I don't have to worry about that thing. Which my father in his work speaking at conferences on death and dying, he'd come home 
he wanted me to say, I'm fine, Dad. How are you? <laughs> you know? And that's what I find going home as a yeah. pastor. You know, yeah. you just. Well, it's like a bunch of guys were reading. Is it, what was the book, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front? Oh, is that the one? Super depressing book. Yeah. yeah. And everyone's reading this book and saying how great it is and how great it is. And I read a third of it. And it's like, why in the world? Would I want to read this? <laughs> yeah. I deal with this stuff in real life. Yeah, why, why, yeah. why would you want to watch a movie about adultery yeah. when you have sat with couple after couple, with person after person, and the horrors of adultery? Yeah. And that's one of the good things about the pastorate is, you know, the blinders are off your eyes and sin is not nearly as glamorous as it is to other mm. people. You brought up rest. And you said, you know, rest is when you're doing something physical, but the Sabbath is a day of rest. And, and I've, I really don't like it when pastors talk about, or when people talk about like, when do you take your Sabbath? It just, it like relativizes the Sabbath in a way that I just seems, I, I don't find in scripture. I don't think I see in scripture. Now I do see in scripture that people take rests at various times you know mm -hmm. it's one thing to take a break from what you've been doing but it's another thing to take a rest in a sabbath sense you, you kind of see what i'm trying to well we had a guy that was had worked with campus crusade as a staff worker who was an elder for of our church for a short time and this man was absolutely opposed to any observance of the sabbath now okay mm. and it was a high principle with him huh what was fascinating, though, was his almost legalistic, moralistic commitment to setting one day every week aside for family time. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that that's a lot of times when people say to us, when do you take your Sabbath, which everybody asks pastors, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. What they really mean is, is there any day of the week that your wife and children can count on your attention? They're not asking you whether you have a commitment to rest from your labors. They're asking you whether or not you have a commitment to family time. That's all the Sabbath really means to most Christians today. But that's not right. I mean, that's just not right, is it? Well, it's it's what everybody does, so it has to be right. <laughs> well, I think about in the Old Testament that the New Testament says that the priests weren't breaking the Sabbath by doing the work that they were doing. Uh, right. Okay, so there ah, there was work that they were supposed to do that was normal work that they did, and they didn't break the Sabbath by doing that work. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm just thinking about it in terms of what we have been talking about, and we're trying to flesh out something that's not, I don't think is really consolidated completely in any of our minds. We can identify things that that are helpful to us as pastors. That doesn't mean that they're not helpful to other people. It's helpful to somebody who fixes cars all week long to stop and not fix cars for a while. Right. And it's certainly helpful for pastors who counsel or, or who are teaching or preaching or dealing with people's problems regularly to stop and have a little time where they're hoeing tomatoes or whatever they're going to do. Mm -hmm. That's just now for something completely different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure we yet understand how to describe that except for how we see what the scripture says. I think we have to do our work that we do on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. yeah. or on Sunday. Yeah. We have to be doing the work that we do. So verse 6, chapter 12, Matthew, but I say to you that, oh, I'm sorry, verse 5, or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? Hmm. 
right? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I don't like us beginning a podcast on work by talking about leisure and entertainment and rest. Okay. We have to realize that the commandment, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh is a Sabbath. The whole precondition of deserving a Sabbath and receiving it from God in creation, across creation, the precondition is that six out of seven days are work. Mm -hmm. The problem is that in most of the Western world today, people are not working six days a week. Mm -hmm. Even a five-day work week, even 40 hours, people are not working 40 hours. I don't know what the proportion is of what the actual productivity during that time is. Obviously, you know, I worked a couple jobs taking plastic, uh, extruded plastic parts off of a machine, trimming them and putting a hash mark on a piece of paper. <laughs> and that was my whole job. And mm-hmm. there were people there that had worked 20 to 30 years. Well, in that state, I suppose you could say that they put in a full day's work because mm-hmm. there's a certain number of hash marks, Yeah, right? Yeah. But an awful lot of us work in the information industry and teaching and things Mm. like this. And the fact is, a lot of us at this table will go home at the end of a day of being a pastor. We'll realize that, well, I wouldn't say this about the two of you. And I wouldn't say it about Stephen, but I'll, I'll say myself. At the end of a day, we realize that we have not been faithful and earned the money that is given for our support by God's people to do the work of ministry. Oh, I think about that all the time. I really feel that. I think all of us do. And so, if you can look at the Western world as this this sort of gross orgy of worklessness that Mm. then is frantic in trying to entertain itself. Mm. And so, the entertainment is boring, and the work hasn't been done. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's what's going on today. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we'll ever be able to talk about rest until we have nailed down work. Mm-hmm. Because what, what I feel like today is that, and we haven't brought it up yet, and maybe you were going to bring it up, but Dorothy Sayers' little essay has just been foundational in my life. And it's why work mm. and oh fascinating i don't know why i missed that one before. well and all she says in it is everybody works for the weekend but you shouldn't work for the weekend you should work for the joy of work mm. right. and if you're working for the weekend you're not working yeah. the point of work is not to get to the weekend thank mm-hmm. god it's friday mm-hmm. right i think that that Baudelaire quote I I quoted, I think that the people that work for the weekend are actually the same as him. They're they're just flipped it. They think the pleasure is less boring than the work, but it's the same kind of cynicism. It's the same kind of cynicism. I hear what Tim is saying, and yet when I think about it, as he was saying it, I kept thinking, well, that's not what God had to say to his people all the time. I mean, it is in the scriptures. The man who does not work shall not eat, Yeah, right? right? It is there, the lazy man, the slothful, the man who doesn't, you know, look to the ant, you know, all those things are there. And yet at the same time, when it came to the Sabbath, it was always, stop it, take that day. Do not bring your produce to the gate of the city, or we're going to throw rocks down on your head, (laughs) 
right? I mean, this is one of the prophets, not rocks. I mean, you, mm-hmm. what did what did he actually say to them? We're going to come out with the with the clubs and chase you away if you bring your goods to the city gate to sell. It seems like today that the reality of people sponging off people isn't the way that it was understood at the time and that the the sluggard might not be seen the same way today as he was seen at that time. It might not be so obvious because people weren't going to starve purely on the basis that they didn't plow their field. Do you follow me? No, I don't. What are you trying to say? Well, because who's starving because they didn't plow their field today? Nobody. Nobody is. Yeah. Which goes to Tim's point that nobody's starving because they didn't plow their field and that we have such a super abundance of everything. Yeah. And and suddenly the supply chain right now gets a little bit scary and everybody's kind of freaking about what am I going to do because I didn't have my field plowed as a backup. And so I think that I think that we're dealing with something that is true, but we have to understand, I think, that eventually we're going to come to the point of, even when we understand work correctly, yeah, that God is going to tell us, stop. Well, I think I'm convinced of this, that the two things kind of walk hand in hand. You have to understand both of them. But I think mm-hmm. let's focus right now on what are the basic principles for Christian Christians and work. We've already alluded to some of them, Stephen. It's baked into creation. It's not part of the fall. We don't work because of the fall. Right. Things about work changed. Um, there's thistles and thorns, but the, the the fact of work is not new. What else? What other biblical principles about work? You mentioned one of them. The, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. Now, you I don't think— You can't sponge off of other people. I don't think we even believe that today. Can, does anyone honestly think that we believe that even in the church in America today? I mean, you know, I was talking to a guy about a church, a sort of sister church of ours, where there was a discussion of spanking and and a predictably every church this will happen. Any mention of spanking in a positive way will immediately raise the ire of all of the godless, rebellious people that fill the pews of churches today. Okay, mm-hmm. in other words. You know, you say, well, I don't think many people in the church today actually believe that. Can we please be done with acting as if people who reject the principle of work and mm. the penalty of not working are Christians? Yeah. Why would we think they're Christians? Because they repeat the Apostles' Creed if their entire life is built on rejection of basic fundamental commands about mm. how we train our children, about what we do with six days of the week, about what the consequences should be, about how the deacons should give out money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Is this a Christian? What does it mean to love God if we don't obey his commandments? How foundational is discipline? How foundational to what scripture says about discipline are spankings. If a father will not allow his wife to spank his little punk toddler who's 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 just disobeying the mother and whining constantly, is that father going to discipline anybody in the church when they commit adultery or incest? Mm. Yeah. So I am so tired of trying to relate to people who have one leg on the dock of the word of God, supposedly they right. say that, and then the other leg in Sodom and Gomorrah and are constantly trying to defend the reputation of Sodom and Gomorrah to the people who live in the city of God. Yeah. Okay. Now yep. I'm sorry, but no, that's, that's a rant, that's, that's a good but point. I mean, honestly, 
if we have to spread our legs between people who reject work, reject the consequences that Scripture says, reject spanking, reject the authority of the husband, reject the literal integrity of God's words, mm-hmm. will not call the people of the universe man as God named them. The word Adam is his name. You know, there are so many things that we could just start every sentence with, well, you know, a lot of people in the church. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people, but as Gustin said, many wolves within, many sheep without. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's another question then. Why work? Why do we work? Well, okay, we work because God worked. Okay. It says, on the seventh day, God ended his work. So he had spent that week working. Mm-hmm. We work because God works. Mm-hmm. And honestly, isn't that enough? And, and work is more than just employment. Mm, we kind of equate the two. Yep, what is yep. my work? Well, it's my, my work is what I do between when I clock in and after I and clock out. But it's got to be more than that. Mm-hmm. There's much more work to do than just what I do when I'm employed. And, and of course, that's a new. That's like a model that, of course, wasn't part of the the ancient world. And know. if you're a, if you're listening to this and you're a young parent, I just want to say you're not doing it wrong if you feel like you're working all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get home, you're still working. Right. It's like no, actually, that's what you're made to do. Right. That's what you're made to do. And so that's it's why they say a woman's work is never done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking as Tim was talking about about God working, and suddenly the concept of they're the picture of the the farmer carrying the bucket and his son walking mm, beside yeah, him carrying yeah. the bucket in mm-hmm. their bib overalls. Yep. And here's God who is our father, and this is what he does. Mm-hmm. And here we are, his sons, and we want to do what our father does. Mm-hmm. And that was Christ. Right. I always do what my father, mm-hmm. what, yeah. what, what my father wants done. Right. What my father's doing, that's what I do. Yeah, you know, this is one of those places where I think that I, as a parent, and I think many other parents are tempted to protect their kids from work. Mm-hmm. It's weird. And I think there's something to be said for, for taking account of account of a, a child's weakness and inability to do this or that. Um, I don't expect the same things from a six-year-old that I expect from a 12-year-old. But Yeah, but you can't, you can't accept laziness in either. Yeah. I think this gets back so... You mentioned the, uh, if he doesn't work, don't let him eat. And that's in Thessalonians, right? First or second somewhere. And there's another one. Where is it where he says, or the Apostle Paul says, if a man doesn't provide for his own, he's worth, worse than an unbeliever. First Timothy Okay, five. so in first, so why is that the case? And I think it's because that's what he was made to do as a man. He was made to work and to provide for mm-hmm. his own. And then I think it, the same thing is true with women, where it says in First Timothy two that a woman, the woman, is saved through childbirth. Why is that? <laughs> well, I, I think they're I think they're parallel because, because it's I the work she has. She was made to do that. We mm-hmm. see this in the garden. We see it in the fall. We see both Adam working, Eve being fruitful. We see the curse on Adam's work. We see the curse on Adam's or on Eve's fruitfulness in terms of the pain. And it's worse than than being an unbeliever to reject both of those things and to mm-hmm. say, no, things are different now, or that doesn't apply to me. It's just like breaking the fabric of the universe, like I said, the way God made things. Mm-hmm. He made men to work. And if they reject work, they're rejecting God. They're worse than an unbeliever. Mm. If a woman rejects fruitfulness, 
she's rejected God. So the, the 1 Timothy 5.8 actually says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So this reminds us of uh, 1 Corinthians 5, where it says that this sin of incest in the Corinthian church is something that even pagans mm-hmm. are horrified by, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what we're talking about here is that among men, I use that word inclusively, <laughs> if we all remember, <laughs> among men, the truth is that family obligation and commitment is so fundamental to the existence of the universe. Right. To birds. I mean, why do we talk down cowbirds? Well, because they get other parents to do their work for them, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so I think that's another reason why he's worse than a pagan, because he doesn't even have the natural affection and commitment. Mm. He is shameless. If he won't work to provide for his own wife and children, his wife who has allowed her body to be ruined by his children Mm, in childbirth and pregnancy, Mm. and then all the work that she does. Now, it doesn't say man in the text. It says anyone is your translation. It's actually not man-specific. But yes, I mean, it's, it's a horror when a man or a woman will not provide for his wife and children or for her children. Mm -hmm. So you look at women who refuse to clean their house, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. I remember one time a woman left our church and moved away and left her house and it had been a crack house. She had gone so much into degradation that they ended up manufacturing crack there. And so a bunch of us got together and got a dumpster and cleaned that house out. We didn't know the dangers at the time <laughs> of doing that, right? Mm-hmm. And it it I think it brought I think it brought me to tears seeing the room her child, her oh, little man. boy was in. Mm. Because it was filthy and that the dirty clothes were two to three feet. Oh my and the whole house was like that. Oh, my. And so the shame and horror of women who will not clean their house. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, we deal with that all the time in our church. That is part of our pastoral care. Mm-hmm. That is one of the things the older women teach the younger women. And, and sometimes they're just plain unteachable. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how many times you go over to the house and help them clean it up. It doesn't matter how many times you go over and try to get them to throw out all of the crud that keeps their house from ever being clean. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so let's not look at this as if it's only a man that can fail in this. A woman can fail just as much. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The church is filled with men and women who refuse to work. So I want to make sure that we, I don't think we've actually said it explicitly yet. We do. We did say, Tim said earlier, that we work because God worked. But what is the work that God has given to us in a general sense, foundational general sense? What is that work? Jesus in John 4, 34 says to them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And so when Jesus was incarnated, his goal was to do the works here on earth that he had seen his father doing in heaven Hmm. and to finish his work. So what we see is that little farm boy and his dad walking side by side. Jesus was that little farm boy doing the works that he had seen his father doing and trying to complete them. That's how we understand the incarnation. 
you know, that God has begun a good work that Jesus is completing. Mm-hmm. Because that's what he says. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Well, Jesus didn't build anything. He didn't write a book. I mean, what did he do? You mean aside from everything that exists coming into existence <laughs> through his yeah. word? No, I'm getting nervous here. <laughs> He's getting nervous. He did, in fact, write a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. He built, he built his church. Well, okay, yes, he did build his church. But my goodness. And he did, in fact, work. Yeah. So let's be specific. What work did Jesus do? Before he was 30, he built stuff. Okay. So he was a carpenter. Well, yeah. Something. Something. Something like that. Yeah. Some kind of tradesman. Mm hmm. He cooked. Mm hmm. He did. Here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some fish for breakfast. Come and eat it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he made whips. <laughs> yeah. That was work. Driving <laughs> the men out. <laughs> Zeal for his father's house yeah. is work. He knew the scriptures. Mm-hmm. But well, look, prayed. Go ahead. go ahead. Morning tonight. Yeah, he prayed. He P- served putting people. his hands on people, yeah. praying and healing them, and so exhausting that he had to go away. Jesus saw the hard-heartedness, and it grieved him. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! Mm-hmm. How I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Yeah. And then Jesus saying, are you two going to leave me? Mm. Oh, Lord, no, no. To whom mm-hmm. else should we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Well, finally, you said it. You know, in other words, you put yourself in Jesus' shoes mm-hmm. and think what his work is. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And what we see him talking about is work all the time, mostly in the Gospel of John, which is also the place that most identifies him with his father as a son. And Jesus answered and said to them, I have done one work and ye all marvel. John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Mm. And then John 17, 4 Jesus in his high priestly prayer says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me. Look, just look up the word work in a concordance Mm. and just read the text in the gospel of John of Jesus. He was constantly working. He came to do the work. He knew that soon he wouldn't be able to do the work. Mm-hmm. And he was intent on finishing the work, and he got the work from his father, and it pleased his father for him to do the work. Yeah, I mean, as I was thinking about how I would answer my own question, I think it all comes down to the word made flesh, everything about Jesus' ministry. I know he did physical labor as well, but I mean, it's all about calling a people to himself, calling people to God. That's really hard work excruciatingly hard work. And you answered my original question, Tim, in a way that I was not expecting because I asked the question, why work? What is it? What is the work that we are to do? And I, th- I think it is important for us to say at some point in this podcast that it, it does come back to even all the way back to Genesis, what they call the cultural mandate, right? Right. Go ahead, Stephen. Yeah. Take dominion over the earth, mm-hmm. uh, fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the beast Rule and the fish. It. and Yeah. Yeah, I think that is exactly what 
the work is. Mm-hmm. And that applies to every, every aspect of our life. And it is completely connected with this physical world. It's not just spiritual work. The work that, that God made Adam and Eve to do is work in this world with stuff, with physical stuff. That's what he, he made the world to be worked up and people. Right. But my, what I'm trying to get away from is it's not just spirit, quote unquote, spiritual work. Yeah. It really is. Uh, you know, we're, we're imitating God when we make things, fix things, clean things, organize things, build things. Mm-hmm. This is actually godly in the sense that it reflects God. That's what God did. Okay. I think you're, you're touching on something I want to jump into, and that is there was a major shift happened at the time of the Reformation in terms right. of work. Yeah. And so can you maybe talk for a few minutes about what is, this, what is the context of the Reformation? How is work viewed at the time of the Reformation for there to have been a major change? And then we can get into what the change was. Jesus in 17.4, John, says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Mm -hmm. So what Stephen is talking about, what you're pushing us toward, is trying to see the difference between doing the work that God calls us to do and having some mystical, teary, spiritual uh, experience or inspiration. And so when it talks when he talks about how he's glorified God on the earth he has finished the work. Well he's connecting work and glorifying God. Man's chief end is to glorify God. Mm-hmm. Stephen talks about the cultural mandate. Stephen talks about uh, the importance of uh, subduing and ruling the earth. Ruling, guarding. What we have to put together here is the fact that God made the earth to glorify him. Mm-hmm. He made it in a certain way. And most of that way is actually quite physical. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah of course. <laughs> and so the physicality of glorifying God is something that we have lost because we're all sort of airy spirits as evangelicals. Yep. Me and Jesus and having, uh, all about having some, some sort of divine flatulence inspiring <laughs> us. You know? Oh my, expiring us. Yeah. Let's get back to the issue that a woman is made in a particular way, and that way is to carry the fruit mm-hmm. of God's love that he has placed between a man and a woman. Okay? Okay. And so when a woman gives herself to fruitfulness, she can never glorify God more than that. Is there any way Mary could glorify God than carrying the one that is fruit in her, the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Hmm. Now, this does not mean that women that can't bear children do not glorify God. But there's a reason why it's a terrible grief to them when they're married and they can't have children. Mm -hmm. Because their body knows what God made and put the potential. She's the life giver. She's Eve, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I want us to do on this is that when the Bible says the man who has been stealing should now work with his hands, when it says that we are to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, Mm -hmm. we come up with all these excuses why it doesn't really mean hands and it doesn't really mean children. Right. Mm -hmm. And We have to go back and say, did God design fruitfulness in the universe? Is it a reflection of 
the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we make joy at the panda giving birth in the Washington Zoo, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is that divine or is that some technological thing that you know the zookeepers have managed to do and we can pride ourselves on how smart our zookeepers are? <laughs> I mean, honestly. In other words, if we're really going to love work, Mm-hmm. And if we're going to think about it being the wor- glorifying God, that's what we're created to do. Can we please be more physical, Steve? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm getting at. Exactly. And so in the Reformation, or in the Middle Ages, before the Reformation, work, almost the only thing that really mattered was how do I make myself right with God? And so it all gets, you know, what you said, ephemeral and airy. It's all about how do I end up in heaven? That's the really the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to withdraw from life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and give myself to contemplation. That's the that's the biggest thing I can do is contemplate, work the sacraments, uh, withdraw from marriage, withdraw from physical labor, mm-hmm. rise above that so mm-hmm. that I can be that, that much closer to God. This is beneath me and. One of the things that was recovered in the Reformation along with the truth of Scripture, one of the truths of Scripture is, no, this is what God made you for. Mm. It's beautiful and wonderful and built in for a man to have a family, to work. It's not just being a priest or a nun or a monk Mm -hmm. that makes somehow you better and closer to God. A man who works with his hands and his brain, you know, Mm -hmm and does work, real labor, and a woman who, who does that in the home and raises her family and has children, Proverbs this 31. is pleasing to God. Mm-hmm. This is pleasing to God. This isn't less than being a priest, being a monk, being a nun. Or a pastor. Or, well, yeah, or a pastor. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It's, I think the, evan- the kind of the broad evangelical church has crept back into that way of thinking. That it's not, you know, the old, the old Testament's all about physical stuff and mm-hmm. babies and working and all that kind of stuff. And the New Testament, though, is not about any of that. It's all about spiritual fruit purely, which means evangelism and quiet time. And whether or not you have a, if you're a woman, whether or not you have children. It's irrelevant. To totally the irrelevant. Whether yeah. or not you do anything with your, you know, with the stuff of this world, irrelevant. All that matters is this personal transaction between you and God that happens in your heart. And it's the middle ages again. Mm. And if you think back at the conflicts between Jesus and the Pharisees, and you realize that it was impossible for a poor person to keep the law as the Pharisees defined Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. that there was a positive correlation between how well off you were and how holy you were because the law was done in such a way that a working stiff- It's a full-time job. Ah. Yeah, a working (laughs) stiff was not able to be at the right places at the right time in the right degree of purity. Hmm. And have the money for the- all the apparatus of it all. And so there's class warfare going on that Mm -hmm. isn't often brought out in the conflict between Jesus. It wasn't just that they were sinners. It was that they were dirty. Mm -hmm. And they were dirty with regard to the law. We don't get that context a lot, but that's exactly what was going on in the Middle Ages. The religious, that's what they called them, the religious. The religious were people who were wealthy enough to be able to retire from productivity, although (laughs) the the monasteries did do a lot of brewing and a lot Mm -hmm. of other Mm -hmm. things. 
And so what you ended up having at the time of the Reformation was a renaissance Mm -hmm. of fleshliness, Mm. okay, of pregnancy, Mm. of nursing, of work, of, you remember Luther saying that Mm -hmm. God looks down from heaven and smiles at a father that changes his child's diaper. And a few short years earlier, he had been beating himself in his monastery cell, you know? And so, what we see, and a good book to read on this is by Stephen Osman, a a Harvard uh, historian, excellent, excellent book called When Fathers Ruled, where he shows that... We, we don't even begin to understand the Reformation until we understand that all of a sudden there is dignity in fatherhood. Mm. And that dignity works its way out in the form of uh, catechizing the children, having a family altar, having marriage. And one of the things I want to say to women who go to evangelical colleges and then decide that they're not going to get married because they want to really give their lives to the Lord is, do you have any idea how sanctifying it is to have a child? <laughs> no. And and they say, well, actually, I think what they would say is, yes, and that's why I don't want to have one for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, of course, I'm joking because, no, they don't really know right. how sanctifying right. it is. They think they're being sanct- sanctified by going and being a missionary to China or Africa, mm-hmm. just like the nuns all thought they were being sanctified by going into the convent. There is a complete disconnect between everything that we think of as Christian and everything that we think of as secular. So Hmm. we will have our quiet time and our purely kind of almost Gnostic little inward spirituality stuff over here and then everything else and never the two shall meet. And so we're willing to be um, obsessed with work in a way that's not Christian either, you know, so it's not either be totally spiritual or obsessed with work. There, there's something where you bring those things together. Mm, that's, yeah. I glorify God in my body, which is what he says. You've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. Do the work. Husbands, love your wives. Work with your hands. Have something to give to those who are, who are needy. Corresponding commands to women. That is spirituality. It's so very physical. But if we try to, if we make spirituality or godliness, just spiritual, meaning immaterial, mm-hmm. then everything is left to what? Then, then most of my life actually has nothing to do with God anymore. My work doesn't have anything to do with God anymore, and that's wrong. If godliness is all in, is my internal piety. Yep, yep. Then all the stuff of this then world everything has else nothing to do is with not, God. Has nothing to do with God. Okay. And then so that's why it's hard to think of work in terms of my duty to God, my duty to God is not just having quiet time, memorizing scripture, having devotions and prayer and that kind of stuff. It is to go to work and give it my best because I'm working for Christ. That's lost. No one thinks that way because that's physical. We all know the, old, the New Testament has nothing to do with the physical world, which is wrong, but that's how we all have been taught to think. Today, we covered some foundational topics about work. We're going to continue this conversation next week, so stick with us. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey, Max Carell, and Stephen Baker. Tim, Max, Stephen, and I serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash outofourminds. 
Bye for now.